What a day, Lord. God, you have brought us all here tonight. Through all the stuff this week, day after day, the burdens, Lord, that we found at our doorstep, with the stuff at work, the difficult kids, the troubling news. Lord, all of it we come with tonight. We need your help. We need your help, Lord, because we know that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, so we ask that you would do this work in us tonight. We ask that you would speak through your word. Touch our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would convict sin. I pray that you would change hearts from stone to flesh. All you, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by his blood. Amen. Amen. It is Good Friday, and it is good. There is much for us to consider in the text tonight that we will look at. But you must ask yourself tonight, why is Good Friday good? That is, what makes it good? Why do we call it good? And most of all, what does it mean? What does it mean to call this Good Friday? And how do we understand what Good Friday is, not just in light of Easter or the Easter season, but how do we understand it every other day through the year? Do you know that? There are implications for what this day is, for every day of your life, and we must know and understand what it is. And so tonight, as we engage with the text, we'll be in the book of Romans in chapter 6. I want us to ask ourselves, has Good Friday changed your life? Has it changed you? We need to know that. And I want you to know that the Scripture tonight is aiming to answer that question in your heart. Has it changed you? If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. In Romans chapter 6, like I said, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul, in his treatise, Romans, wrote a letter to a church that he had never seen, had only heard about. And he wrote to them to tell them of the gospel in which he taught, the gospel in which he received. And as he goes to explain that gospel, through the chapters leading up to chapter 6, he tells the people, he tells his audience that there is a great deal to know about what the, Lord, what, what the Lord has done in all of time and history. He tells us so much. He says that we are all greatly burdened. We are greatly corrupted with sin. All of us. All time. We are Bearing sin all the way from parent to child, parent to child, all through history, to you and to me, all the way back to Adam. 
And in telling us that, he says, the Lord would not stand to have it. But he says in Romans chapter 5, at just the right time, he sent Christ to die for our sins. It would not stop God from pursuing his people. No, he sent his son to pay for sins as a sacrifice, providing love and grace to those who would only know rebellion. Only knowing rebellion. And all of this is culminated right before our passage in the most amazing words. Where sin increased, grace abounded evermore. All the more. Think about that. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And in the shock and the awe of that statement, our passage begins. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of, of the Father, we too, we too would walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But for the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is no doubt that when we see this passage open up and we understand that abounding grace, that ever-abounding grace that Christ has provided for us to His people, that when we hear that, there can be for some the temptation to wonder then, what's the point? What is the point? And we could be tempted to roll our eyes and to think, well, okay, so, so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What's the point? Well, how am I supposed to be inclined to be good? How am I inclined to be righteous for God if all I have to do is know that my sin is paid for? But if we take that position, if we take that thought and we try to live our lives in it, it simply does not do the trick. You see, the reason the Apostle Paul poses this question is not because that's the right answer. It's because the way that you answer that question is how you understand that abounding grace. So when he says, what shall we say? The question is, is there a change? Has there been a change 
for you if you have received grace. Because if it is, that answer, what should we do? Just keep sinning so that grace is always going to cover it? That answer for you is totally different. And what is done on the cross means something totally different. So you have to ask yourself, has Good Friday changed you? Does the work on the cross cause you to reflect on the grace that you received for your sin? It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? And while it does make sense, right, that grace would increase and give room for sin, it makes sense. That's the logical progression here. The change comes in how we relate to it. How do we relate to sin? It understands that grace does not abound and it uh, does uh, abound and outdoes, but there is no way that we could possibly conceive of the aboundingness of grace without calling it cheap if we just take it for that alone. Is your grace cheap? It was not cheap. And I believe that the Apostle Paul in the text going forth will show us at least three ways in the death of Christ that we can understand that that grace was not cheap. And it can. You can say and know that Good Friday has changed you. The first of these is the death of Christ is shared. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by the baptism into His death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You see the mystery of our union in us that are unified with Christ is that His death is our death. It is our death. The text is screaming to us from all places in all history, demonstrating that something happened on the cross. Something unique. Something unique happened there 2,000 years ago, and it was profound and amazing. Christ, the Son of God, suffered and died. But Paul shows us, yes, that happened, but we were there with Him. We were right there with Him, His people. Not just all of our stuff that we have done and the stuff that we will do, not just all the nasty remarks of the, or the selfish thoughts or the murders or the lies or the thefts or the millions and millions of ways that we fight for our own way. Not just that stuff, no. But the myriads and the myriads and the myriads of people over every tribe and tongue and nation as far as the eye could see they were there with Him on the cross. That's us, folks. When we think of Good Friday, why is it good? Because it's yours. It's yours in Christ. As many of us who have called Him ours, so is He in a pool of His own blood with His back against the lumber called us His. Yes, and He held us there. Sins destroyed, debts repaid, wrath satisfied, but we didn't feel the nails. We didn't feel the embarrassment of nakedness. And we certainly didn't feel the wrath of God, but it is for us. 
He did it all. You see, the death of Christ is shared. It is said so well in the early church. I love this passage. In a letter called the letter to Diognetus, it says, He himself took on him the burden of our iniquities. He gave His own Son as a ransom for us, the Holy One for transgressors, the blameless One for the wicked, the righteous One for the unrighteous, the incorruptible One for the corruptible, the immortal One for them that are mortal. For what other thing was capable of covering our sin than His righteousness? By what other one was it possible that we, the wicked and ungodly, could be justified than by the, son, the only Son of God? Oh, sweet exchange. Oh, sweet exchange. Oh, unsearchable operation. Oh, benefit surpassing all expectation that the wickedness of many should be hid in a single righteous one and that the righteous, of one, the righteous one should justify many transgressors. That's yours, folks. That's what tonight is. Has Good Friday changed you? It should. Because it's yours. The second thing we see in the passage, the death of Christ is liberating. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we we should certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we are also to live with Him. The Apostle reminds us that this is not all that is implied in the union of Christ, but we are also unified not just in His death, but in His resurrection. So how does this propel us to understand that we might be changed on Good Friday by Good Friday? You see, we cannot think for a moment that the cross, that the, the Good Friday that we come to every year is just a pit stop. It's not just a milestone that we hit on the way to the resurrection. If it is not for the cross, the resurrection, what does it mean? The resurrection shows us that on the cross, all the work was complete. There was no more death to die. There was no more sin to cover. There was no more wrath to absorb. It is all completed in the cross. His death is not a death wasted. It is a death that satisfies all the consequences of sin. And in doing so, it liberates. And it does liberate. It frees us from the common ancestor that we all bear. The old man. The old self. That one thing inside of us that goes all the way back to Adam. And he is put down hard in the cross. Yes, the death of Christ is liberating. Our union with Christ in His death and resurrection has freed us from the old man. We have been liberated so that those who are in Christ can look at every temptation square in the eye and say, you have no power on me. Yes, we can know that. We can know that. So that those who are in Christ, you can know you are no longer in bondage 
to sin. If you are in Christ, you can know with confidence, with iron confidence, that you are not the product of your surroundings, but a product of the risen Christ. You can see the sin all around you in your life and you can look and say, I am free. That is not my Master because I have died with Christ and His death was absolutely effective. Has Good Friday changed you? It should because in Christ, you're free. You're free. The third thing we see here is the death of Christ requires a response. Verse 9, For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The cross of Christ, for many, has many meanings. We wear them, we draw them, we put them on our buildings, on our cars, on anything else, and we consider them We consider them in so many ways. But here we need to know, we need to understand what the cross means in this text. What does it mean for him to know, for us to know that he has died He has died His death and He has died it once and for all. You see, the cross was a marker. It was a flag for the Romans. All over the known world, Rome would go and expand and they would conquer. And if there was any trouble at all, the cross was the solution. Christ was by no means the first nor the last to experience the crucifixion. And in the Roman world, if you saw a cross in the ground, it meant this is Rome's. And they would flex their muscles by taking all all those who would oppose the emperor and they would throw them up on there for everybody to see. And And they were totally indifferent to it. You see, it was the best, from the best, in the entire world that the Lord received the cross. It was all the world had to give. And like the Romans, it is all any power ever has to give. The most they could do ever to any one individual would be to take their life. And so Christ, He on a cross meant to humiliate Him, meant to to discern for all who would walk by to say, Rome is great and mighty. Do not cross us. Do not mess with us. The Lord God, the Creator of all heaven and earth, He was nailed to it. And that was all they could do. And it was defeated. It was defeated. So what does it mean? What does it mean to have the Lord of all creation, Maker of heaven and earth, and take the very best blow that any power could ever deliver? He demonstrated they cannot compete. They cannot. And He would throw at them everything. And all that they had to provide would be defeated in a matter of moments. All the wrath that you and I would take an eternity, an eternity to expend, 
he dealt with it. All that the Romans and all that anybody could throw at them, he dealt with it. And in the resurrection, he says, is that all you got? Is that all you got? You see, there is a response required. There is a response. Because the old man dying once and for all, that, that right there is what we are to deal with. So, he says, you must consider yourself dead to sin. Do you live this way? Do we live this way? Do we live as though our Lord and our God has decidedly destroyed and effectively destroyed all of our foe's might? He has showed Him to be powerless. Do we live this way? Do we live in a way that says we are dead to sin? We must. We must because Christ has defeated all this sin and death. Has Good Friday changed you? Has it changed you? If you're here tonight and you know as you are as a Christian united to Christ, you have been changed. Good Friday has changed you. You are free. You are no longer bound to sin and to shame. If you do not know Christ, if you do not know Christ, it is for you. You too can know freedom. You too can be bound to Him. You too can know that Christ has died for you on Good Friday. And yes, Good Friday can change you. It can change you. It is important that no matter what we are, where we are in those two categories, we understand that Good Friday is not just for the individual. It's not just for one chair in the room. No, it's corporate. You see, the funny thing about this text is all of these amazing things that, that, that we see in the Word are all plural. Every one of them. It's not you, 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 you. It's you all. So it is corporate. Everything that is true of us who are united in Christ together, we share together. What does that mean? That means that you can look across the room right now, and those of us who are united in Christ, you can know they have received the mercy I need. I have received the mercy that they need. And we can look at this and we can know with absolute certainty that there is absolutely nothing my brother or my sister could do that Jesus has not fully paid for. Completely. And that's not just our hope. That is our hope. And so as we walk in this, as we think of this, I want you to consider now for a moment, however you will, I want you to find that individual that you feel you have trouble forgiving. Find them in your mind's eye. Look at it. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I want you to think about them. And I want to ask you to consider in what ways were you more deserving? 
In what ways did you need the blood of Jesus more? In what ways were you more worthy to be forgiven by the Lord of all creation? It is an amazing thing to consider what has been accomplished on Good Friday. What has been accomplished for us and for all of us. And so, as we begin to close, we're going to respond. And we're going to respond together by taking communion. If you look around the room, you'll see there are tables set up with the elements, and they're all prepackaged. And inside of it, there's a, there's a cracker and there's some juice. And we need to think of the cross of Christ as we go to take the elements together. And this is the way that we demonstrate our union with him together as a family. You see, as we take the bread and the cup, we are signifying our unified need for the blood and the body broken of Christ. We can be very tempted to think this is just for me. But as we go to grab them, I want you to look and to see all of us together going and grabbing them. We all need it. It's all for us. And as you grab them and you start to come back, if you feel comfortable, I want you to, I would challenge you to find some folks to pray with and to consider Good Friday and whether it's changed you and how it's changed you and to take the elements together. And as Frank starts to get ready to play, I would challenge you, Christian, to see your union with Christ together with your brothers and your sisters and to know that they have received the same amazing, endless supply of mercy that we call out for every day. Their sins are forgiven as yours are forgiven. And so we take of the body of Christ together. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said that this bread is to remind us of the body of Christ which was broken for us. And the cup is the promise of the new covenant that says He will take a people and He will make them new. He will put His Spirit in them. And it is bought by the blood of Christ. And so as you take it, we proclaim what tonight is for. We proclaim the death of Christ. If you are not a Christian, I hope, I hope with all my might that you would watch and see and hear the Gospel and that by the great mercy of God that you would be transformed by it. Well, watch and observe and we would love to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus personally. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us. Guide us, Lord, as we go to partake. And I pray that you would just convict us, Lord, and show us in how many ways, Lord, we need you. And Lord, I pray that we would sing praises knowing that you have met the needs of our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that we would see your death and we would respond. I pray we would say, we would know that yes, we have been changed by Good Friday. 
In Jesus' name, amen.